the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. As we come towards the end of the Lord's Prayer, recorded for us here in Matthew, we have the statement. There's been six petitions, but now we conclude with a statement. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We'll we'll take a look at that statement and how to incorporate it into our daily prayer life. Next, on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. The Ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, this is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Welcome to our program today. We're in the Lord's Prayer. It's our series. We're coming towards the end of it. And here today, we want to focus on Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, as well as Psalm 8. It's there that we get a wonderful glimpse, if you will, into the conclusion of this prayer, the statement that we find at the end, and what it means, and how we are to incorporate it into our prayer lives. Join us for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. After 23, 50-minute or thereabout sermons on the Lord's Prayer, we finally come to the last section. And after all that I have said over all these weeks, trust me, we have only skimmed the surface. There are a number of good scholarly books on the Lord's Prayer to prove my point, particularly a very fine work by the English Puritan Thomas Manton called An Exposition of the Lord's Prayer, and I recommend that to all of you. My advice to you, beloved, is to keep meditating on the Lord's Prayer, to keep praying the Lord's Prayer the rest of your life, and you will see you can never plumb its depths. It may just take us a few minutes to read it, but it takes a life of praying it to truly understand it. Today, we come to the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. How, this, is, this is how our catechism explains the point to the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to read to you question 196 of the larger catechism, and then I'm going to turn over to the shorter catechism, question 107. Larger catechism, question 196. What doth the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer teach us? The the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, which is, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, teaches us to enforce our petitions with arguments, 
which are to be taken not from any worthiness in ourselves or in any other creature, but from God alone, and with our prayers to join praises, ascribing to God alone eternal sovereignty, omnipotence, and glorious excellency, in regard whereof, as he is able and willing to help us, so we by faith are emboldened to plead with him that he would, and quietly to rely upon him that he will fulfill our requests, and to testify this our desire and assurance, we say, Amen. Question 107 of the Shorter Catechism. What doth the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer teach us? The conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, which is for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, teaches us to take our encouragement in prayer from God only, and in our prayers to praise Him, ascribing kingdom power and glory to Him, and in testimony of our desire and assurance to be heard, we say, Amen. Now, what, are we, what we are going to do today is, first of all, make sure that we understand every word in that conclusion. And then we'll look at the catechism to see the threefold purpose of that conclusion. Now, the first word we come to is for or for because. It is the basis and the reason for the rest of the prayer. For the six petitions, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, for because thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We call this sentence an ascription of praise, and we find many of these throughout Scripture. So the Lord's Prayer begins and ends with adoration of God. First of all, our Father which art in heaven, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now, we come to the pronoun thine. Its antecedent is obviously our Father who art in heaven, to whom this prayer is addressed. Now the word thine means belonging to you as your right as is God's actual possession of the kingdom and the power and the glory. Then comes that little article, thee, which comes before each of the three nouns, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And of course, the purpose of that article is to remind us that his is the only kingdom and the only power and the only glory. Neither man or Satan's claims to any of these things in any way rivals God's. The kingdom and the power and the glory of man are subordinate to, under the control of, and work together for the accomplishment of God's kingdom and God's power and God's glory. And then we come to the first of those three nouns. Kingdom. The word kingdom refers to God's absolute and total sovereignty over the entire creation and every single thing in it. God governs everything according, Scripture says, to His good pleasure. 
So nothing ever happens in this entire universe apart from His will. For instance, in Isaiah 46, we read this. My purpose, says the Lord, will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Truly I have spoken. Truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely it will be done. No exceptions, no caveats, no conditions. The kingdom of God is absolute and sovereign over everything in the entire universe. The next word is power. Now when we use the word power with reference to human affairs, we mean a person's ability to carry out his own will. You have a desire to do something. And in many instances, you have the power to carry out what you desire. In many instances. But whenever the word power is attributed to God, it always refers to His omnipotence, His all-consuming power. Because the only kind of power God has is His ability to do whatever He pleases, totally unlimited, almighty power. Psalm 115 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. Now, that is not the kind of power that you and I have. There is a lot that we would enjoy doing, that we would love to do, but we don't have the ability to do it. Not so with God. Now, He never does anything because He has to or because someone's made Him do it. God does whatever He pleases. He is an almighty all-powerful God. And the only limit, yes, there is a limit. The only limit to God's power is His own character. That is, God does not have the ability nor even desires the ability to do anything that is contrary to what He is and who He is as our living God. For instance, God cannot lie. He does not have the ability to lie. You see, brothers and sisters, it is contrary to his righteous character. Then the third noun is glory. Now, of course, you know that's a very precious word in Scripture. And God's glory is the radiant manifestation and fullness and the sum of all of his perfections, his blessedness, his all-sufficiency, His eternity, unchangeableness, omnipresence, omnipotence, omniscience, holiness, justice, love, mercy, grace, long-suffering, goodness, truth, faithfulness. And His glory shines brightly throughout all His creation. Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God, and Jesus is the incarnation of that glory of God. It says in John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And when God makes a Christian out of you, He does it by healing your mind of unbelief, 
so that you can see, says Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, the light of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For God, who said light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Forever refers to the past, present, and future. God always rules. God always exerts his power. And God always displays his glory. God's kingdom, power, and glory are infinite, they are unchangeable, and they are of eternal duration. Now, what is the point of this conclusion of the Lord's Prayer? This conclusion to the Lord's Prayer tells you why you can even pray. Here is why you can pray. Because God has all kingdoms, power, and glory. Here is why you can be confident that your prayers will be heard, because God is God. That's what you are conferring here. You are ascribing praise to God, and you are saying, Father, because you are God, I can pray and know that my prayers will be heard. Now, the larger catechism says that there are three purposes to praying the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer. One is to enforce our petitions with arguments. And the Catechism says, which are to be taken not from any worthiness in ourselves or in any other creature, but from God only. Number two is to join praises with our prayers, ascribing to God alone eternal sovereignty, omnipotence, and glorious excellence. And three, as God is able and willing to help us, so we by faith are emboldened and encouraged to plead with Him that He would, and to quietly rely on Him knowing that He will fulfill our request. Now, let's look at each one of these purposes so that it can help us understand why God used this particular conclusion. First of all, it teaches that when we pray, we are to enforce and support our petitions with arguments. Someone has said, and I've told you before, that God likes to be won over by argument. Now, obviously, that's not literally true. And it can be easily misunderstood because God is more willing to give than we are even to ask. And He knows what we need before we ask. But nevertheless, this statement makes an important point. God wants us to enforce and support our petitions and request to Him in prayer with arguments and reasons as to why we think God should answer our petitions. These arguments and reasons should be humbly given with a submissive and grateful spirit regarding however God chooses to answer our prayers. But nevertheless, God wants us to support our request 
and buttress them with reasons as to why we think God should answer those requests. And that is the point of this entire conclusion. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil because thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Let's look at some examples in the Bibles of people humbly arguing with God in prayer. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Job. We'll be looking at chapter 23, verses 3 through 5. Individuals arguing with God as to why he should answer their prayers. Job 23, verses 3 through 5. Job says, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn the words which he would answer and perceive what he would say to me. Now, Job is not saying that he's trying to convince God to do something God doesn't want to do, if Job only had the pretty words and the elegant phrases to convince him. He's talking about arguments, and he's actually preparing his prayer here. And that's a good lesson in itself, to prepare a prayer before you even pray it. He says, I have a case to set forth before my God. I have requests I want to make of him. And oh, that I might know the argument and the right words to say, to buttress my case, that he might hear and he might answer. Charles Spurgeon preached a sermon on Job 23, 3 through 5. And you can find that in the Metropolitan Tabernacle Pulpit, Volume 12. And here is what he says about these arguments in typical Spurgeon fashion. He says, When we come to the gate of mercy, forcible arguments are the knocks of the wrapper by which the gate is open. And why do we use arguments and reasons at all? It's not because God is reluctant to hear and to answer us. It's not because we can change God's mind. Not because God needs to be informed of our circumstances. Spurgeon says again, in the final analysis, the argument should be used for our own benefit, not for his. He requires for us to plead with him and to present to him our strong reasons because it shows the value of the mercy requested. The value of the mercy that you're asking him for. When a man searches for arguments for a thing, it is because he attaches important to that which he is seeking. So the arguments are not for God's benefit. They are for ours. So we can remind ourselves and refresh ourselves. This is how important this is to us. Here's one of the best things I've ever read on prayer again by Charles Spurgeon. The very act of praying is a blessing. To pray is, as it were, to bathe oneself in a cool stream and so escape from the heat of earth's summer sun. To pray is to mount on eagle's wings above the clouds and get into the clear heaven where God dwells. To pray is to enter into the treasure house of God and to enrich oneself out of an inexhaustible storehouse. 
To pray is to grasp heaven in one's arms. To embrace God within one's soul and to feel one's body made a temple of the Holy Spirit. To pray is to cast off our burdens. It is to tear away our rags. It is to shake off any of our diseases. It is to be filled with spiritual vigor. It is to seek the highest point of Christian health. And God gives us to be much in the holy, out arguing with him in prayer. Let me stop here and ask you, have you ever experienced these things while you were praying? Or even afterwards? While you were praying, did you feel you were bathing in a cool stream? Avoiding the hot, scorching sun? Did you feel as if you were mounting on eagles' wings above the clouds into the clear heaven of God? Did you feel like you were going into the treasure house of God and enriching yourself out of the inexhaustible supply? Did you feel you were grasping heaven in your arms and embracing God in your soul? Did you feel your body was the temple of the Holy Spirit? Did you feel you were casting off your burdens and tearing away your rags and shaking off your diseases and being filled with spiritual vigor? Pray that when you pray, my good friends, and you will experience these things. We not only have an example in Job, we have an example in Jacob. So turn, if you will, to the 32nd chapter of Genesis. We'll read Genesis 32, 9 through 12. Genesis chapter 32, verses 9 through 12. O God of my father Abraham, and this is Jacob praying, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. I am worthy of all the loving kindness and all the faithfulness which you un. Sorry, I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mothers with children. For you said, I will surely prosper and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered by the multitude. Now, here is how Jacob is praying. He's asking God, petitioning God to rescue him from Esau. He knows that Esau, with an army of men, is on the horizon. And he assumes that Esau is coming after him to get even and to wipe out his family, steal all of his wealth, because earlier in their lives, Jacob cheated Esau out of his birthright and his blessing. So Jacob prays to the Lord, and he asks him to save him from Esau. And then he gives three reasons as to why he thinks God should answer his prayer. Three arguments. The first is, God, you are the God of my grandfather and my father. You have always been the God of this family. You have always protected this family. And just as you have protected my grandfather and my father, I am asking you to prove your faithfulness in your covenant to me and to watch over me and protect me. Moreover, God, I humbly remind you of the promise that you made to me. You promised 
that I would prosper. Lord, dead men don't prosper. Save me from Esau. Lord, I want to remind you humbly of something else you said. You promised me that I would have more descendants than the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky. Lord, dead men can't father children. Deliver me from Esau. So do you see what he's doing? He is humbly arguing with God and giving reasons to God to support his petition as to why he thinks God should answer him right out of God's own promises. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner.